His original concept, original script was with Matthew Litter returning a stew who was still alive. As I told you, that TV didn't kill him. He's still alive. He's maybe got some facial reconstructive surgery, but he's still alive. How the fuck? I don't know, but apparently he's in prison and from prison. You think he has a talking dog in prison? Of course. My dog is going to be so mad at me. Rawr, froggy. So, yeah, he's in prison. He was going to be control- controlling high schoolers, having them do his ghost face bidding and terrorizing high school. But Columbine happens, which means that they can no longer do anything scary or violent in a high school setting. So they do a whole new script now. And there's a new writer, Ethan Kruger, no relationship to Fred Kruger. I was about to ask. And the end result is this movie, Scream 3, and let's get into it. Now, I will say, box office-wise, the movie still did pretty good, but it was way less than the first two movies, which showed either fans were getting tired of Scream or they did not like this movie. And we're going to find out which of those that was. So we get to... Cotton Weary, driving a car. In Hollywood. In Hollywood. It's the big-ass Hollywood sign. Yeah, I was here I was sitting there thinking, okay, who are we going to get as our surprise kill in this one? Dewey. No. Why not Dewey? Because it wouldn't be a surprise. The guy's supposed to be dead. Twice. If if superhuman Dewey dies in the first 10 minutes, I'm hella surprised. Well, how about big-ass Cotton Weary, who apparently is driving home from shooting his death scene off Stab 3? And... He's not really happy with his role in Stab 3. Maybe it was the pay. It was the pay, wasn't it? And no, what it was was uh, he was fine with the pay, except for the fact that he feels like he should have gotten a bigger role because he survived the actual event. Listen, so why in the world is he being the first person to die? He has a point. I agree with Cotton. He should have a bigger role here. He did survive. He not only, he not only survived Part 2. He was the saving hero in part two. Yeah. So this is pretty much a thankless role, both in Stab 3 and now in Scream 3. Well, how about this? He gets a call. Uh, apparently, the woman on the other line likes him, so he hangs up with his well, she's agent. A, she's a fan of his talk show, Yep. 100% Cotton, yep. which is actually a pretty clever name for a talk show if your name is Cotton. He's a dick in this. He hangs up on his agent just so he can talk to his fan. He's that insecure about well, himself that man. or he just likes his fan up until no the, he's trying to talk to the fan because she's a female right up until the part where the fan then turns into a male voice well not a male voice ghost face voice yeah which the ghost face voice sounds completely different this time than in the previous two it's still roger jackson but this is hmm three years later yeah so and he's and you know ghost face he's back to playing games yeah he's not doing trippy though he's he just wants to know where Sydney is. He would lo- he would love to know where Sydney is. Why call Cotton? Is he what he thinks Cotton and Sydney are buddy buddies now? Uh, I mean, yeah, I gotta say I don't know how he's many. He's in Hollywood. Sydney most likely isn't. I don't know how many CSI shows or Sherlock Holmes books that Ghostface has read, but he'd be a shitty de- a shitty detective. He's <laughs> tracking down Sydney. He's like, I should call Cotton Weary. Yeah, like why call Cotton? Why not Dewey? Right, which would make sense. But he calls Cotton, and not only calls him, but he expects Cotton to have Sydney on speed dial. He expects Cotton to be like, 555, 512-3163. See you later, Ghostface. Right. But instead, Cotton's like, now, I can't just help wanna, you. I just want to got a quick question. So his girlfriend, Christine, she's showering. And he and then this whole thing, Ghostface is in the house, walks into the bathroom and says... If you don't tell me where Sydney is, I'm going to kill your pretty girlfriend. She has a really nice voice. And I'm just like, why? How can she not hear you or see you? He is actually next to the shower talking on the phone to Cotton. That's true. And that's a pretty good logical plot hole already. And there's also the question of how did he get in the apartment? Why was the door open? What is Ghostface's plan here? Is he actually wanting Cotton to tell him about Sydney? Yes. Because to me, the plan here is actually still to kill the girlfriend at least. But also to send a message from by killing Cotton. Yes. So Cotton thinks this is pretty serious and somehow starts speeding out of traffic. Which is kind of funny considering the fact uh, you know, on the TV there's a thing playing about him talking about dangerous drivers. Pretty funny, right. And wait a minute, why can't he get the police on the phone? Why did, did he even try? He did, but it's just the, the phone was busy or some shit happened where he couldn't. Oh, yeah, because uh, police were getting called about other things. They were, they were wait, 
they had like so many calls coming in, it was backing up their lines, which for Hollywood would kind of suck with how much shit goes on there. But this is why I don't understand what Ghostface's plan is because if he did call the cops, the calls would be now showing up to the house where Ghostface is hiding in the house. And Ghostface would be screwed. Or if Cotton's just stuck in traffic and doesn't get home, Ghostface is still in the house. Doing what? Just sitting there hanging out. Well, that's pretty much what he was doing even when Cotton gets there. When Cotton gets there, there's a weird dynamic happening where Ghostface is hiding and Christina's hiding. Because Christine they're, thinks They're both Cotton hiding separately. They, bo- they both have weapons. Christine has a weapon and Ghostface has a weapon, but they're hiding in separate parts of the house. Yeah, but I also think that he, uh, Christine also thinks Cotton is the one trying to kill her because Ghostface now has a voice changer <laughs> that somehow has everybody's voice known to man. Even though when you look at this voice changer, it looks like it can only really keep up to five different voices. It also looks like really just a recording device, not even an actual voice changer. Well, this is the year 2000. This is not 2025, 2021. So the level of technology is astounding. With this voice changer, alive or dead, you can press a button and use that voice in full sentences. Because at a certain point, he's going to use Maureen Prescott's voice. Which makes no sense. He's going to use all their voices fluidly. This is the greatest invention ever. Instead of Ghostface killing anybody, he should be making money off this new invention the damn ghost face voice changer. Yeah. Um, and this be, is amazing. This is a big leap of logic here, but this is amazing. And to be honest with you, it kind of kills the story for me. Because now it, it, the first two, they were fun whodunits in a sense. With the first one being the best way of showing different little hints and clues to who the killers are. The second one, because of something that happens, they couldn't do it with one of the characters. But the other one, which I forgot to mention in that one with uh, Debbie Soul actually tried to poison everyone against Dewey. Right. When the killing started happening, Dewey all of a sudden shows up. Mm-hmm. That was a clue of who she was. True. Sure, that, to be honest with you, is the only damn clue you get about her. <clears throat> well, Debbie Saul was a bit out of, left, out of left field, but in this movie, you have a killer who has a super cheat code with his voice changer thing. Right, so it's now just, we it's don't gonna be, get, It's going to be impossible. So now we also don't get any kind of clues about who the killer is. Not even Blue's clues. Mm-mm. Yeah. No Blue Paws, no handy-dandy notebooks, it'd no been, Steve. It'd have been nice, I mean. Damn it, uh, Steve. You're right, damn it, Steve. How dare you go to college? Um, yeah, so Cotton shows up, and Cotton's a pretty big dude, but he gets his little... Um, Fire poker. But uh, Ghostface, you know, in, in the scuffle, I notice Ghostface gets his ass kicked a lot in this movie. Because Cotton's a much bigger dude and throws his ass against a bookcase, has the case fall down on Ghostface, but then he makes a dumb mistake of trying to reach for something and gets hit in the face of the bookcase. Yep. And then uh, gets kicked across the table. No idea how this guy has that much power in him. <laughs> Cotton flew over the table as if he got hit with the force of Thanos. And then gets stabbed twice, once in the chest, once in the head. Bye-bye, Cotton. By the way, Christine got stabbed once in the back and then immediately falls to the ground dead. Yes. You know, I just feel like when you get stabbed in the back, I feel like it's almost never like an instant death. That's one of those injuries where I feel like it's painful as shit. But getting stabbed in the back, I don't think it's instant you fall over dead. I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem that it, would work, right? It depends. Because when you stab in the back, you're not actually getting stabbed like in an organ, per se. You're getting stabbed in the spine, right? So it's like... Well, it depends on exactly where the stab is. Yeah, there's a spine as one spot, but if you get stabbed on one of the sides, could be the lungs if it's low enough. Uh, you get stabbed actually high in the back, you could pierce behind the heart, which would still pierce the heart itself with how big that knife is. Okay. We just don't see exactly where the knife is actually going into It's her. possible with this movie screen thing, one of the big problems I'm having with is that there's a lot of just liberal just stabbing in the back. Because and this guy's too scared to look his victims in the eyes. Well, regardless, I just... Stabs her and she just falls over dead. And if that's the case, if it is that damaging, why is Dewey still alive? Because for him getting stabbed in the back is like getting stabbed in the left pinky toe. <laughs> Damn it, man. I wouldn't say left pinky toe because he, he'd be able to walk away from a left pinky toe. He doesn't really walk away after getting stabbed. Because oh, he'll be running laps by part four and five, right? Watch. Fair. But I will bring up because me and you actually think that, originally thought that he didn't have his limp in this movie. 
Yeah, it I, does. It's just not as prominent. Yeah, I thought it was gone, but I might have been confusing that with part four. So. Probably. But I and if you're wondering, you know, could a severed nerve heal itself? Yes, it can actually. A severed nerve would eventually be able to heal itself if the body is strong enough to repair whatever is damaged. And since Dewey seems to be just as immortal as Stu, yeah, he's repairing himself. Maybe Dewey's a zombie. This is zombie Dewey. We just don't know it. Is that why? Nah, he does. He hasn't eaten Gale yet. So we do cut to Sydney living like the Unabomber in the mountains. Yay! We get to meet Sydney with her dog, and she has PTSD. She's living in the. No one gives two shits. I know she's like in a hidden place, but I'm just going to call it the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. All, no all I'm going to say is, so to be honest with you, even though I've seen her in the previous two movies, I still, after, this is actually only my second time watching this movie. I'm just thinking. Just with cause with seen, good reason. Just because I've only seen her in the other two movies doesn't mean I care about her in this movie. So the movie needs to start giving me reasons again to care about her. That's a good point. I think there's an assumption that because it's Sydney, we automatically there's like a built-in no matter Connection. how you, no matter how you present her, we care about her. But you're exactly right. It's different in each movie. I cared about her a lot in the first movie because of what happened in the first movie. And second movie, same reasonably so. But the we third still, movie though is different. Yeah, because in the first two movies, like I said, the first movie, everything happening. Second movie, we still because we are following her, and it is a good character in those first two movies. She she's a likable character. Yeah, we want to follow her. We want to see her get through but it. One of the main ways that you establish a likable character or a character you can relate to is you have to see them in their everyday life, interacting with people, how they are with their friends, their family. See that people care about them. Yeah, but that, her, that's how you—that's how you establish a character. In this movie, we don't get anything like that. No, because in this, she thinks the only way to keep herself from being attacked by psychos is by not interacting with anybody, apparently except for Dewey. Because if you look at her telephone, she has her job, her work phone. She has a little button for Dewey. I think she even had a little button for Gail, even. Yeah, the she the people she, closest to her she has buttons for. But maybe not Gail though. Maybe not. I'm I, I don't see her and Gail being friends here. It may but not. But Dewey definitely. Yeah, Dewey's name was on there. I think the other one I'm thinking of is not Gail, but Neil, which is the name of her father. Yes, I mainly and mainly probably with Dewey's probably just a check in once a year that type of thing, not a actual friendship. Probably. But Neil, that's her father. She has to do that. But my point is that at this point. It's hard to care about in this movie because, in a way, she's already dead. She's not physically dead, but she's mentally she's she's just basically gone. dead. She hasn't actually died, but she has no life here. She's what, just doing her telemarketing in the, in the mountains by and herself. And she uses a fake name for the crisis care center. Yes, if 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 they gave her an arc here where she's like determined to get her life back or determined to over well yeah get her life back overcome the ptsd basically she's like at a certain point like fuck this i want to return to normalcy i'm on board with that but you have a reason to care but she's kind of just like lured out of hiding because ghostface somehow gets her number he gets her home number too yeah like is that actually ever explained how that happens nope because you see dewey at the beginning he was saying that somebody called the stab film set looking for information about Sydney and then at the police station wherever the file room got ransacked but Dewey had already removed her file right so and obviously the killer was calling Cotton thinking that hey maybe Cotton knows where she's at which you think anyone who knows this character knows hey how about I call Dewey no this whole thing this whole opening of the movie should have been him tying up Dewey slowly cutting off each fingertip until Dewey gives information and then turning doing around and saying, listen, I have a way to torture you without actually killing you. I'm going to stab you in the back over and over again. And since we know you can't die from that, this will just be you having the torture of feeling the pain of getting a knife in your back. But don't worry, motherfucker, you definitely won't die from it. So. You give this character way too much credit. Mm-hmm. How about we just go ahead and meet Gail again, along with Detective Mark Kincaid. Kincaid. I'm just going to call him McDreamy. Why not? Because he's played by Patrick Dempsey. Absolutely, he's got bigger things coming in his future than this movie, so. Yep, so. Uh, hey, by the way, what's up with Gail's hairstyle? <laughs> who told her that was a good idea? 
I have no idea, but I guess we should go ahead and meet the rest of the cast, which I which is actually down. the cast of Stab. What are we Stab? Where are we at? Stab? Three. Stab three now. Yep. This is the cast they're, of Stab three. Yeah, they're at. Unlike the previous movie, where the first movie is being released as the second, as the second Scream movie is taking place, this one Scream two has uh, Stab two has already been out for about a year. They're just got the rights and started filming Stab three. As all as the events of Scream Three is happening, so the Stab series basically is now like a Friday Thirteenth Saw level series where it's going to have yeah. So now I can understand the damn movie movie theater scene of Stab One, but for Stab Three instead. Now in 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 this universe, even Ghostface should be a part of pop culture. Yes. Whereas in Part Two, Ghostface shouldn't have entered into pop culture as a right. So here's the character's name, and I got them all written down. It was hard. Roman John, played by Lance Henriksen. Oh my boy! Yeah, I had to I had to mention Lance and Rickson, Tyson, Sarah, Angelina, Dewey, Tom, and Jennifer, also played by Parker Posey. Yeah, Parker Posey. Yeah, but did you get um? Let me check the notes. According to my notes, did you get Sydney Prescott and Gil Weathers? <laughs> did you mention those? I think you. Yeah, mentioned. I think I mentioned those. All right. Okay. Yeah. So you have uh, you have Jennifer, Roman, Tyson, Angelina, uh, McDreamy. It's a it's a new large cast because hey. We gotta have a big kill count here, so we gotta introduce Which, a bunch of people to The so. only problem, I, I like slashers, that's fine, but a big kill count for me in slashers only works with like a 10 episode TV series. What the hell, man? There's like one, of, there's only one of those ever. What are you talking about? It, the, the show's called Slasher. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> He's like, it only works for me with this one random TV show that's ever been done. No, but still. It's a movie, the, it's a movie genre. A movie the genre. The only reason I bring it up is because. You don't get to know the characters enough when it's a big cast to actually give a shit. You just have to do it properly. Like, for example, the first scream, by the end of the movie, all the kills are basically like like when Tatum dies, you know the characters. Exactly. Um, but it also wasn't that big of a body count, but it's enough characters for us to get to know, kind of grow attached to. Just because Tatum was pretty wasn't the reason why we attached to her. Yeah, we knew her personality. Exactly. But this, but this is actually what you're talking about is exactly what separates the good slashers from the generic slashers. Exactly. Um, now, that can be overcome if you have a super fun villain. Like, we watched Friday the 13th. We're so into Jason that we give some leeway to the fact that characters suck half the times and mm-hmm. usually it's, there's no development because we're cheering on Jason. But Ghost, Ghostface is not to the level where you ever actually cheer on Ghostface because we know it's some random person in a mask. It's not like a... And also... It's not, an, it's not really an iconic killer. And also, Ghostface's jokes aren't as clever as, say, Freddy. Oh, was the killer and Jason goes to hell. Jason. That's the wrong answer! Technically, it's not. <laughs> well, no, it was like the, the demon seed Jason. Yeah, but it was still... Go fuck yourself. It was still Jason. No, whatever. All the lights just turned off. Fortunately for you, there's another question. But poor Steve. Anyways. Uh, all right. So we meet this hopeless cast of characters that have no chance of surviving. We'll see what happens to them. Oh, yeah. Here's the comes the part of the movie that's just retarded. And yes, I said the R word. Wait a minute. Resay that, please. Okay. There's a part of the movie that starts now that is uncalled for. Maureen... Showing up as a ghost woman to Sydney. I'll say this. It's stupid. It's very stupid. It's a little bit creepy, though. Only because when the woman shows up and she look, she first looks at the window, her eyes are just wide-ass open. And then and she's obviously all blue. When it pops up as Ghostface, that was kind of scary. Uh, when it popped up as Ghostface, I was like, go fuck yourself. I, you know, just like part two, I saw this one in theaters, and that actually was a good jump scare for the crowd. They, it, it wasn't. Pop is a ghost face. It's weird because it's like, how does your mom turn to ghost face? But that was kind of a creepy scene, but it's, it's out, you know what? It's out of place for the Scream movies. You would expect that in some other kind of movie. And that's probably why I don't care about the whole Marine story bit with Sydney. With Sydney somehow seeing her mom. It makes no sense. I really don't care. You would think, though, basically, so much bad shit's happened to her since then. I don't think she would be necessarily still hung up on her mom dying because all this other shit's happened to her. Yeah, and the problem she is... She has so much trauma from her own experience now. 
Yeah, the only problem with this uh, movie is technically you still need her hung up over her mom just for some of the stuff in this movie to actually work when you find out about her mom. Yeah, you know, it's a point I was thinking about earlier. I think I, I may have brought it up to you earlier off, off mic. It was like each sequel basically builds off the first movie but doesn't build off the experiences of the previous movie. It's like almost like it's, it's almost like the sequels are all standalone movies. Like part two, you only have to have seen part one. Part three, you only have to have seen part one. Part four, you only have to have seen part one. It's like all the trauma, everything seems to always be connected to the events of the first movie. The characters, they always reference the first movie. But it's almost like, like in this movie, it's like the events of part two seem to be kind of just... Like, maybe they happened. I mean, they referenced it, I think, but it's still just tying back to the first movie. It's weird. It doesn't, they don't build on the best series kind of like flowing away where they keep building on top of each other. And this movie, this series doesn't do it. It's just, it's all about Sydney's trauma, about what her mom went through still. She has her own trauma to deal with now, so. So let's go ahead and get to Sarah's death. My favorite death. No, no, not at all. But you know what? There's a spoiler here because. It gives away who the killer is. It doesn't, but it does sort of. So the killer has a voice changer, so whoever calls her is just the killer using the voice changer, right? But in this case, it's a, it's a double twist because in hindsight, what we know now, there's no voice changer. It's just Roman calling as Roman. Right. And then he uses the voice knows, changer to get he knows, into Ghostface voice. He knows that he's going to be able to say, it wasn't me because he knows there's a voice changer. So this is maybe a little bit too too meta for this movie, even within the movie. But Not the, it just made no damn sense. I mean, but but if, if you're going to kill her, why even change the ghost face voice? Right. It's like what does it matter? What does it matter only, to use the ghost face voice? It's really weird. There's a lot of things that doesn't make damn sense about this movie. But I'll tell you what. This is again my main complaint about part two is finally resurfacing here in part three now. Sarah walks out, sees the front door, sees a shadow there, which ends up being the security guard, goes and hides in the costume room in the back. <clears throat> Why didn't she just shut that door and then go find another room? Why not? I mean, what are the odds that the shadow in the front is actually Ghostface? <laughs> Why not just walk towards it and just see what happens? Why? I mean, but worst case scenario, you get stabbed in the gut. I at least want to see it coming. You go hide in the costume room. You hide in the costume room. Where it's all Ghostface costumes. Now, I'm not even mad at her. I'm mad at Ghostface, who's actually hiding in the costume room. <laughs> so Ghostface, being the grand wizard uh, prophesizing Nostradamus that he is, how the fuck does he know that she's going to end up in the costume room with him conveniently so he can pop up his Ghostface? I, actually, I know, what, I know how. Why? So he lives in Hollywood. Hollywood is Los Angeles. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bear with me. Um, I think this may be one of those, I'm dumber for having heard this explanation. <laughs> so in, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of psychics. So what he did was he went to a psychic, got a magic crystal reading. A magic crystal reading told him everything he needed to know about the events that were going to unfold minus the end. Because remember, everything has their own different pathways. One small thing could easily change it. But he focused exactly on the crystal to make sure he did everything correctly on that crystal to ensure everything went the way the crystal said it would go. Mm-hmm. So Miss Cleo is to blame for this bullshit. Correct. Okay. I want to point out, the security guard walks in, <laughs> the security guard hears a noise in the classroom and mentally says, ah, fuck this shit. Turns the lights off and leaves. <laughs> clap, let, clap for the security officer who actually heard the noise. They, they sh- they show him acknowledge noise and him saying, no, nah, I'm not messing with that. <laughs> and he's he not leaves. getting paid enough. Now he turns all the lights off and poor Sarah's stuck in the costume room with Ghostface who happened to know. But I got a question for you. What if she just did not come to that costume room? Then the whole thing would have changed and Ghostface would have been fucked. But I want to play a fun game. How long does he stay in the costume room before he's like, Ah, shit. <laughs> at, point, at what point is like, like the sun's going out? It's like 11 o'clock at night. He's like, maybe she's not coming. <laughs> How long does he wait there? Until she finally shows up. When she or he starves to death. When she walked in the costume, Ghostface was like, whew. <laughs> Thank goodness, man. This like, plan was finally. a fail. 
I didn't. I was hoping she came. Um, so she tries to fight back with props, and that doesn't work. But they make it seem like she doesn't understand that she has like a a, a wiggly fake rubber knife. She is blonde. Oh man! And you know what? <laughs> this movie better start coming up with some original death scenes because you know what? He stabs her in the back. Yep. How many times are you gonna stab someone in the back and she just dies? She died instantly again. Yep. Stab in the back. They cut to her face. Immediately she's dead. Yep. Dewey would be so proud. He would be. But uh, now we get our revelation of the M.O. The killer is killing people in the way they died in the script. Which makes perfect sense as long as there's not multiple scripts. Oh, shit. Yep. Come to find out, there was apparently three scripts written before this one. So now we don't know which one. Which script did Ghostface read? So I was sitting here writing. uh, How long before this whole M.O. changes? Oh, oh, look, the guard just died. I don't think he was part of the movie. That guard deserved it. I mean, he he's, did. He's telling Dewey, like, I don't want you to end up like your little sister. Which, is, by the way, is the only Tatum reference in the entire series. And, and by the way, to add to, I want to say something about Sydney's trauma real quick. Do you realize that Sydney's two best friends have been murdered? First Tatum and then Haley? Yeah. Like, my goodness, she's never going to have a friend again. That's, the, that's kind of the whole point of isolating herself. Yeah, but what about her? She even tells Mark, people who get close to me, die. Okay, well, I'm worried about her dog. What about the safety of her dog, right? She's the putting, dog is there for her safety. She's putting her dog at risk. Didn't you notice the dog ran, actually, when she started freaking out? It's did, like some, did he? Some, uh, uh, some service dog. That dog needs to go back to training. Look, Michael Myers killed the dog in part one. I'm worried about her dog, right? Well, her dog survives. Security guard, big ass dude, who is also, by the way, a known actor. They always have like known actor screen movies, even small parts. This guy was on Seinfeld, and uh, he does a lot of voice acting. And, and yeah, he definitely—he's a big ass dude. I don't know if Ghostface is bold enough to actually attack him in that trailer like that. Well, remember, he did try to go from a back kill again. He stabbed him in the back, didn't he? What the yep. hell? But this guy being—did they not notice as they're filming? It's like, man, this dude just keeps stabbing people in the back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why they changed this into this guy picking Ghostface up and slamming him up against the damn thing. Luckily, he has a frying pan. But I will say, Boom, right Roman back. seems to like Dewey because the minute he said something about Tatum, Dewey's That makes voice, me angry. Yep, and that's when Ghostface attacked. How did he... But, by the way, where was the phone? That was pretty smooth how he cut into the Ghostface voice in mid-word. <laughs> how does that work? Anyways. Oh, um, let's talk about the... The pyrotechnics, pyro, the pyro. <laughs> Tom's death. What's the word? Pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnics, yeah. Okay, Ghostface, you about to really go to the next level here, huh? So Tom's death. Um. So I, I, he, I, without the, getting the details, there's a fax machine that's pulling out a new script. So obviously the ki- So this again gives us the clue of who the killer is in this one because he's, he's the rewriting writer. a script. Right. Or the director. Because the writer and director both, the director sometimes can do rewrites too. Well, in this, from what I understand, in this one, the director actually did have a hand in writing the script as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, and so, yeah, he's pulling out the, they're pulling out the papers and then finally the guy gets the last paper, lights it. Okay, I got, I got a serious issue with this one. So he lights it, lights his lighter to read the last message. Of you smell the gap, the one person who survives or not survives, the one person who has mercy, meaning a quick death, uh, will smell the gas. Um, if the gas was already going, that the minute he flicked that lighter on, should have ignited the place. Why did it wait until after he read it before igniting the place? Because for fun, the movie had to have us see what was on the paper. <sighs> Now listen, I got a question for you. Ignite the place, right? Would the fucking house have exploded like no. it did? No. The whole place exploded the, at the same time. The only way that would have happened is if that gas had been on for so long that it as it traveled throughout the house, but people would have already been smelling it and feeling the after effects of the gas inhalation, which would be dizziness because you know you can't take in that much gas before you start feeling the effects nick it looked like a mansion-sized house and the entire thing exploded yes 
Which means that gas hadn't been on for a while. Everyone's high right now. What does Ghostface do if they're all in the house and they all die? Doesn't that kind of mess up his plans a little bit? Not really. Then I don't he think, just I don't, doesn't have to kill anymore. I don't think he wants Dewey and Gale to die at that point. Probably not, but hey, he risked it. That was pretty, uh, for Roman, that was pretty... By the way, pretty risky. Dewey does something actually uh, useful here. He shoots Ghostface. From far away, too. Good aim, Dewey. Yeah, and then falls down a hill, but that's I mean, listen, he's going to do Dewey things still, so. And Ghostface gets away, so it's obvious this Ghostface is wearing a bulletproof vest. I think Dewey wears a bulletproof vest, but on his back. <laughs> <laughs> Knife-proof vest. <laughs> he just wears it on his back. Puts it on the wrong side, basically. It's on his back, so that's why he keeps absorbing is all he, the... Are you sure he's stupid? Yeah, he keeps absorbing... Oh, yeah. But by, by actually, <laughs> Maybe he knows that Ghostface is going to keep stabbing him in the back. He's like, you know what? I'm going to put this backwards. Let, let's slow down for a second. Let me say this. I, I would say that Dewey and Gale, clearly the movie is following them. They're the main characters. Sydney, which I read that Nev, Nev Campbell had actually asked for a smaller role, which to me suggests you should have killed her off at the beginning, but instead they have this thing where she's really only in the last half an hour of the movie. Um, last 45 minutes, I'll say. But the first half of the movie, she's barely in it. And clearly Dewey and Gale are the main characters. Yeah, I But their, their whole dynamic feels tired. In this one, yes. Like, they're... They're definitely not Dewey and Gale from the first movie. They're trying to revisit the same spiel they had in the second one where they like each other, but they're not a good fit. So they're, like, playing push and pull. So I know we've already, we've already seen it now. I've noticed something about this, about these two. Notice how whenever they get close to each other, it's always during murderous events. And whenever they go apart, it's because the action is over. Yes. Then they come back in the second one, same thing. The action pulls them together, but then afterwards, no action pulls them apart. Yes. So they only can survive if Ghostface keeps reappearing and bringing them back together, bringing them back together through his killing. Yes. Oh, that's a romantic relationship. Very romantic. It sounds almost abusive. It sounds like one of them should be the killers. Because they could, they could justify with, it's the only way we can keep us together is we kill. So. We're on to something. Damn it, I can't say until we get to Jennifer's death. So let's go ahead and meet Martha Meeks. What the hell? Where did she come from? She made the drive. She hitchhiked all the way from Woodsboro. What I'm trying to figure out is when did Randy get a sister? <laughs> well, we didn't know enough about him to know what his family situation was. Think about it. it when did Randy get a sister? After, we, he's in like five scenes in the first one. I understand if, he, if his mother showed up randomly. You know, obviously he has to have a mother. Or his father. Obviously he has to have a father. Where the fuck did he get a sister? You know, that kind of plot point is a little important to mention at least once. It makes you feel better. So it's not out of the fucking way. It makes you feel better. She's in the new one. Okay. I mean, I, I've, only other, I've only seen her in one other movie, and that was like Hostel 2, where she got tied up on the ceiling, na- butt-ass naked, and then had her throat slit. Uh, and a Elizabeth Bathory woman just, dr- just bathed in her blood. I only feel bad for you for having watched Hostel 2. Damn. I mean, yeah, I never uh, watched 3. I, I wish you could get back to your, your, your hour and 30 minutes from that. I never watched 3. It makes me feel better. So... We get the rules in the form of video here. The rules of a trilogy. Yeah, this is very pushed and rushed at the same time. Notice how fast Randy was talking. Yeah, I got a feeling if Randy made this video, it would have been a chill 20, 30 minutes of him like... It would have been a podcast. Why is he in such a rush? If he really thinks he's going to die, why not put a lot more thoughts out into the world? But uh, let's go over what these rules are. Uh, everyone's in danger. Which did not... Which added add, nothing to the which, story. Which I wish was true, because this movie needs something to raise the stakes, but unfortunately, his rule is the filmmakers aren't bold enough for to actually do anything. And about, also so. the... Um, killer is always superhuman. Killer superhuman. Now that's pretty spot on. And the... Uh, and whatever you the past about <laughs> the past is going to come back to bite you because it's not the 100% truth. The past will come back to haunt you. Anything you thought about the past is not true. And that's actually, I mean, that is in a lot of trilogies. That's in the damn Dark Knight trilogy. That's definitely in Star Wars. So that's spot on. The one problem I have with the whole scene is that I don't think horror is really known for trilogies. It's not. Like, I, 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 I was trying to think about, okay, he's giving rules of trilogies, but I was trying to think about horror trilogies. Like, damn near every horror movie that has a third one has a fourth one also. Yeah. Like, what horror trilogies are there? There isn't. 
So now horror movies can have trilogies within the series, but they're never called trilogies. Exactly. Well, the Tommy Jarvis though four, five, and six is classified as a trilogy. The Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Yeah, but that's on a small scale though. Even, Same with three, four, and five. That's classified as its own trilogy. Even it all takes place. Even this Scream movie. series did not end up being a trilogy. They already messed that up. So, yeah, the it's cool to see Randy again, but I just go back to. They shouldn't have killed them all. You shouldn't have killed them because clearly you need him here in this movie. It would add a lot to it. And again, you could have had the sister also be a movie freak, but instead of horror, have her be more of action, which does have a tendency to do trilogies. Bruh, she was not going to come from Winsboro to give her opinions on the rules, and they weren't going to listen to her either. So it makes sense that she brought the video. Um, nah, I don't think she would have done it for that. It's, why not mail it? To who? She don't to know. Dewey. She don't know where Dewey lives. He's probably not listening. She has his number. She's friend. Dewey's friends with her family. Maybe. Maybe not. <sighs> Dewey can't be friends with everybody. She literally hugged him and said, next time you're in town, visit. Mom wants to see you. Yeah, that's okay. That's true. <laughs> well, she should have done already gave this videotape to Dewey years ago, right? That is also a fair statement. Randy's ghost is like, hey, I said to give that to them immediately. What are you doing? So here, here we go. Are you, are you ready? For probably the best cameo in this entire damn movie. Jay and Silent Bob? Sorry, Lance. Well, <laughs> you, did you miss that one? No, I didn't. I just didn't have them because they're not as big as. Give me a drum roll. Drum roll. Carrie Fisher. Oh, my God. And she's playing a Carrie Fisher lookalike. Yes. And the reason she did not get Princess Leia, even though, you know. She did. They, they joked about You really strike me as Princess Leia. Yeah, well, the one who fucked George Lucas got the role. Is that, is that really a slide against herself for that one? I don't know. I do know that she dated Harrison Ford, so it's really she was with Han Solo. But, um, well, they did technically get married and have a I, murderous son. I do like, I like when Jennifer and, and Gail go off and do their own thing because it gets us out of the damn boring dewey gale dynamic at least this is something different we can see that we can see gale interact with a new character so give me anything new at this point that's why jennifer as over top as parker posey is is like a breath of fresh air to get us away from the monotonous boring dewey gale dynamic so so for a few few scenes here i'm happy i just want to say one more thing uh i don't care if we skip the scene i don't care if we talk about it i just want to say fuck the ghost mom scenes the ghost of Maureen Prescott. Yes. We don't need them. And they're creepy, but they don't fit the movie. No, they don't. And, they, and they, I, you, We would appreciate that like in a different kind of movie, just not in the screen movies. No. And to be honest, the whole, uh, oh, it wasn't Ghost Mom. It was me just using the, the voice thing. It's like, no. How the fuck does that voice thing have her voice when that thing was created after she was dead? There's no way you could have gotten that voice on that recorder. No, I mean, the, the voice, listen... The voice changer, by all intents, would be the greatest invention of the 21st century that Ghostface is randomly using in his pocket. Nobody else has ever heard about this technology. You're telling me in mid-sentence you can switch to any voice in the world just because you say the name. He's like, he's like, um, Siri? Maureen Prescott. And then the voice just pops up? What kind of bullshit is Siri wasn't around in 2000, was she? Well, it was just Maureen, so I don't know. Oh, well. It was Cece, not Siri. So, fake Sydney. I'm going to call it fake, Sydney, because obviously it was Roman. Gets and, Dewey and Angelina. And, and Jennifer. Oh, you're saying fake Gale then? No, fake Sydney gets Dewey Gale to the party. Oh, you're skipping all the way that. Well, what, what else is there? Just my favorite scene where, where uh, Jennifer's like, you're obsessed with her and you're obsessed with her daughter. Oh, uh, the whole thing with Lance and Rickson? Yeah, because that's an interesting subplot. You know what? That goes nowhere. You know, I was thinking about though. You know what this movie actually called out way before that was the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. The John Milton character is basically Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, because Harvey Weinstein was one of the producers. But that's what's crazy is Wes Craven actually had a relationship with Harvey Weinstein. He's the one that did the Scream series. But then this character in the movie is basically like Maureen Prescott is basically like Me Too back in the day. Like that's what's crazy. Like they're pointing that out. I don't know if they were aware if Wes was aware of this, but. It's really weird and freaky to see that in the movie. Or maybe he wasn't, uh, he did not like what Harvey Weinstein had done, so threw that in the movie, and Harvey just never caught it. 
Right. If people went back and watched the movie just in the lens of like, hmm, this actually this is a dark movie with what it's actually saying about Hollywood, especially with today's what we know yeah. now. So. And it'd be yeah. So, uh, so now er, the shit has gone down. Uh, they find Roman somehow dead with Jennifer hiding. Uh, what what else? Oh. Yeah. We got to talk about the dynamic, the the potential chemistry and romance. Sidney Prescott, Detective Kincaid, who is played by... Um, Richard Dempsey? No, no, the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Ken Sagos. Yes, who he tells Sidney Prescott on the scene, he's like, the only thing I know about sequels is don't come back for Part 4 because they'll kill your ass in the first 15 minutes. That was my favorite scene because it was a callback. He was talking about how, you know, got killed off in Nightmare 4. I thought that was pretty cool, so... Angelina who we never mentioned but, uh, at the whole movie. I was thinking, okay, she's one of those cutesy, nice characters. No, she but... was the killer in the original script. <laughs> it was her and Roman, but somewhere along the line, they decided just to not make her a killer. So. Yeah, well, she, she screams out at Jennifer and Gail, I did not fuck Milton to become the leading lady to die with you two hack, uh, jobless hacks. Well, fuck, considering the fact that you didn't have that good of a career after this, because I haven't seen her in anything after this damn movie. You think she was being that meta, where she was going outside of her character and talking about her herself? Yeah. Wow. I think that's not fair. I mean, fair. to be honest, I didn't look her up. She probably has more movies under her belt. I just don't, never seen her, or I don't recognize her. It's not fair, but I, I, I don't understand why she was so... Um, Pissed off? Out of nowhere? Her death scene was so, like, she was so desperate to get away from them. Yeah, and then... She's like, get off me! Yeah, and then... And then goes, she runs... Go, runs into Ghost's face, and he stabs her in the back. I was hilarious, because... She's walking, but still talking behind her, not seeing ghost faces walking up on her. It's like, Yo, get, you guys following me? It's like, no, you told him to fuck off. I got to mention one thing first, though. But prior to this scene, Gail goes down the basement. We're in a coffin. She finds Roman's dead body. Yes. Roman, who's bloodied himself up and gave himself the appearance of a corpse. Yes. But she actually takes his pulse. Yes. And he's dead. Yes. And then she finds Jennifer in the room also. So Jennifer's in the room when Roman decided to put himself up with blood and put him in the coffin. So, the coffin. I, just, I just want to point out. What the hell, man? This man has made a damn voice changer that gets dead people's voices somehow on the voice changer. There's, you really think he doesn't know how to find a way to make sure you cannot feel his pulse? I think there's one obvious solution that we're missing here. He's Batman. Batman, who is the king of gadgets who has Morgan Freeman in a factory somewhere coming up with new gadgets, came up with this damn voice changer and came up with this. I don't think that's actually Roman in the coffin. I think that's um, a mannequin corpse that looks like Roman. So that, I think that's what it is. It's a mannequin corpse. Yep. So everyone gets together now and... Because they're safe if they stick together, right? Exactly. And it doesn't help that Ghostface just comes out of nowhere and just whacks Dewey what about in the that? face. What about that right hook? Bam! <laughs> Just like out of bum like fuck nowhere. Prime like, Mike Tyson. Like y'all see the damn hallway. You're saying somehow Ghostface showed up out of the hallway without you seeing him? This was a big problem for me because yeah, we saw the hallway they came from. Dewey's standing in such that it's impossible for somebody to get close enough to you to punch in the face without you seeing it. Right. And by the way, didn't one of them have a gun? Dewey. I'm pretty sure yeah, Dewey had the gun. I think even my No, I, Dewey I think Gail had a gun. No. He gave it to Gail. Gail gave it back to him. Okay. Because somewhere in this melee, the, the gun goes missing or some shit. Mm -hmm. All right. So anyways, they run the room. Tyson was in the right, wrong place, wrong time. Well, he tried to, he tackled him to help Dewey out. You know, like. Why do you, why did he, he tackled him, but he, he knows he has a knife. You tackle him, but you do it in a way where you, he exposed himself to get stabbed. Well, what I'm thinking is. When you tackled somebody, why don't you just continue the melee by beating you got the shit yeah. out of them? Like, pushing him against the wall is nothing. You have to actually punch him. Yeah. If and that probably him. could have got the guy so shocked to where then Dewey could have came in and you both just could have been pounding the fuck out of him, curb stomp him. At least props to Tyson for not being scared. He did literally attack Ghostface. With, with a knife, he charged him against the wall. But he did do something stupid. The problem is, once he gets stabbed... He's just running off, being like, "Please help!" And Ghostface chases him to the, probably my, the most funniest line in the whole movie. He notices Ghostface is chasing him and goes, "Oh motherfucker!" <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That in the theater got so many laughs. You know, if he just played dead on the ground for like three seconds, he probably would have got away. But we would not have gotten the "Oh motherfucker!" <laughs> no, what we wouldn't have gotten 
was this ridiculous pulling of the rug where my man does a triple-double Olympic somersault landing on his neck in such a way where he broke three to five vertebrae in his back and neck. What? And still survived. What is this? What kind of ridiculousness was this, this somersault, triple-salt? Pretty, because I'm pretty sure if he just pulled... One, when he originally pulled the carpet, it looked like Tyson had already gone around the carpet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's on top of the carpet. <laughs> but, who, but who reacts to that with, like, the worst possible thing is for you to actually break your own neck? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that that could have been the death scene. Him breaking his neck, and Ghost is like, oh, shit, and Ghost of the series. Right. But instead, we had to have Tyson get thrown into a thing and then thrown out the window where he falls and you hear a... Okay, well, you know I don't like... You know I got a pet peeve about this fucking throw off the balcony bullshit. Or stabbing in the back. I'll give them a break because... It wasn't stabbed to the back. At least Tyson already had a broken neck and was had been stabbed. So I can buy maybe this fall killed him. But he didn't get... He got thrown off. It's a low... It's not even a high rise. It's a, a low level balcony. It was like a second story balcony, yeah. Like you can tell, like he just probably immediately hit the ground two seconds. It's probably okay. Like in another, in a realistic world, he probably gets up and like limps away. You're not understanding that if people land on their heads, they're kind of dead. People can break their fall on the way down. It's very rare that they're falling and they just like, ah, take my face. <laughs> You know when you jump, everybody's been trained and dare to you jump, you break your fall by putting your arms and your knees. Did you just say dare? That's not even around anymore, bud. Yeah, it was around when I was in school. Yeah, they taught so us how to fall out a window. So was damn CPR classes, but notice how the new Power Rangers movie, none of those kids knew how to use CPR. I'm just saying, in every horror movie, when someone's falling off the thing... Nobody thinks to like protect their face or use their knees. Yeah, fuck they that. All then, ju- they all just take the, the shot head first to the But there's concrete. no body count at that point. Or other, everyone would live. When you throw someone off a balcony, here's what it is. It's just lazy writing. It's a lazy kill. Let's be honest. It's a lazy kill. So it, it's, it's not satisfying for the audience to see because you never actually see them hit the ground. You just, it's an off-screen kill almost. It's just lazy. So let's get to Jennifer's death where I kind of want to bring something up. When Ghostface attacks Jennifer... She screams at him, you can't kill me. I'm the killer in the third stab movie. I'm sitting there like, I wonder if that was an actual uh, question for Wes Craven and the writer to maybe throw that in there. I, it, it still doesn't make sense to me. I don't, it felt like some bullshit she was saying, but I, I, didn't, I didn't take it as like meaning anything. Because what, make- like, what does that even mean? I'm the killer in stab you. You can't kill me. It's like, well, remember, why, why would the, Ghostface care about that? Remember, the original M.O. of Ghostface was he's killing people in the order they die in the movie. Well, if she was supposed to be the killer in the movie, technically she wouldn't have died until one of the heroes killed her, which means Ghostface wouldn't have killed her. Interesting. So she should have lived if that is the actual case, even though they did say one of the newer scripts, she was supposed to die third, unless that was the same script that said she was going to be the main villain. Explain to me how the hell Ghostface got away in this scene where Dewey's shooting down the mirrors where we know Ghostface actually is because he's just, he's just stabbing Jennifer right now. He shoots down all the mirrors only to show only Jennifer and no Ghostface. Uh, because was there a surprise trap door underneath or something? Well, to be honest, this house it seems like the damn hotel that A.J. Holmes created. So many damn trap doors that you don't even know where the fuck anyone's at in this house. Lance and Rickson had a damn playground for a house. That's true. Of all the scenarios that could have happened in this movie, the only scenario I did not want that I thought this movie did not need was... Retconning the entire first movie? No. We're left again with Dewey, Gale, and Sidney against the killer. Oh, don't forget Mark. When Jennifer dies, anything potentially surprised about the movie dies with her because we know we're in the familiar bullshit scenario where... Somehow, our three tremendously plot-armored protagonists will defeat the Scooby-Doo villain. Don't forget Mark. Listen, I I don't care about Kincaid because his dumbass comes here and does nothing useful at all. Yeah, but what I'm just really annoyed about, they retcon the entire first movie by this guy saying, 
he's the one who killed her mother. Did he? Did he say? Is he saying that he called her? Or is he saying that he so at, inspired Billy and so at Susan? first, at first until and before she finds out who he is, it's saying he killed her. Then when she finds out it's Roman, Roman gives the whole Bond villain monologue, and Roman says, "I I was the one who told Billy how to do it and yada yada." I'm like. That's not what you just said five minutes ago. You said you were the one who killed her. Make up your damn mind. Who killed her? If I had to guess, I think he killed her. I think he would want the satisfaction. He's so mad at her because she abandoned him in his, in his own perspective. Mm-hmm. I got to think that probably he killed. I think maybe he killed her. But at the same time, if he's the one that killed her, then it's hard to believe that Billy and Stu went along in a way of just like never mentioning him. Mm-hmm. And, and then they actually, t- in part one, they take credit for killing her. Yeah, they they tell Sydney that they killed him. That they killed. But her. The, the real annoyance, a major annoyance, with this whole damn movie, is um, so Roman goes to Maureen, he expects open arms, and Maureen's like, "Go fuck yourself, uh, your mother died of the Reno." Pretty much, Roman goes to Maureen expecting a warm welcome, and Maureen says, "Sorry, your mother died with Rena. I am Maureen Prescott now." What I'm just trying to understand is, you think with the his revenge, he's a director. He's actually he could potentially be a pretty good smooth talker as well in a sense that he can write. Why doesn't he just go to Sydney and be like, "Hey, by the way, I'm your half brother. Uh, this is what your mom used to do: show her pictures of her mother in the younger days, show her the three movies her mother were in. Think about how." easily it is to per, to convince a teenager hey this is your mom i'm your half brother with that much evidence that probably would have been the logical way to go and then sydney confronts the mother and in a twisted form of uh, revenge maureen would have to then deal with that backlash that she would eventually get when he goes back and says hey i know where my mother is to john melton yeah, it's hard to see what his motivation was because he tries to make it like he's the victim. Oh, she didn't want me. And he's trying to justify to Sydney, like, this is why I did what I did, basically explaining his actions, giving, of course, the killer monologue. But he's, he sees himself as a victim, apparently. So it's interesting that he's also, at the same time, like, he's trying to endear himself to Sydney in a way of, like, hey, I'm your brother. This is, what I, this is why I did this. But also, he's, at the same time, he took the most... Illogical. Serial killer approach to everything, basically. What what I don't understand is, okay, he put the seed in their head to kill Maureen, but he didn't push them to then kill everyone else. Do the events of Scream One. That was them coming up with their own movie, as he said. So his thing was only just Maureen. Maureen. So now, twenty years later, he's a relatively successful director. He has a career going. Sydney basically is living a miserable life. She's hiding in the mountains, isolated. He's been attacked twice. And to be honest, both times is not really on him because he never wanted her attacked. He just wanted revenge on Maureen originally. But in this one, his final thing is to now get revenge on Sydney. Which, but I don't think, I don't know if he'd feel that way 20 years later after being like, have you been paying attention? She's been attacked twice. Her life is over. She's isolated in the mountains. And why would he even care? What, did jealousy really get him to go off like that? Well, think about what he's doing here. He's killing off his own cast of movie he's directing, right? The, the follow-up for this is probably going to be that nobody's going to ever want him to direct the movie again. Right. He's going to be attached to, oh, that one movie where everybody died on set. So he's not planning to get caught here. He's planning to then go on and live his normal life, right? You just killed your directing career. <laughs> the dude Milton was super high on you as a producer. And you killed him. You killed him because actually he was your father, apparently. Yep. What was what I took from that? That's the same. But so you're throwing away your career so you can bring Sydney out of the mountains and kill her? And, and why are you killing all the random cast members? And here's the annoyance, annoying part about this. So technically, he's already gotten away with everything because of the two attacks on Sydney already. So the real question is, why then bring her down to try and frame her for these murders when she wasn't even in town for half of them? Yeah, that doesn't make sense either. But listen, my thing is like, his plan for Maureen Prescott, it all went to perfection. You got your revenge. And you got and you got out scot-free. 
Yeah, it's just it's a leap to think. Twenty years later, he's like, I'm still not satisfied. I gotta find her wherever she's hiding. Bring her out. Kill my career. Kill Dewey. Like it's like a that's. Or was he just afraid that? Why is he still so passionately mad? Or maybe you already ruined her life. Or maybe what was it the possibility? Of all these stab movies coming out, that maybe his secret would have eventually gotten out. No, there's no way that secret. <laughs> the only people knew is Billy and Stu, and Stu was in prison. So when Stu gets out of prison, you'd be fucked. But uh, I mean, Stu could have easily just said, "All right, no wait," because they didn't make the part three script in this canon. Stu is still dead. Oh, okay. By this time, somebody would have been like, "Yeah, but Stu's still alive." Yeah, because if Stu was alive. He could have easily gotten a plea deal. Gail and the killer are both unconscious, or the killer's unconscious, and Gail's in the basement with him. She calls Dewey. They have a brief convo. Killer jumps up. Dewey comes into the basement, top of the stairs. Hey! Has no bullets in his gun. The killer turns around from the bottom of the basement. This is Roman, the director. Looks at his knife, says, fuck it. Throws the most perfect Chuck Norris samurai ninja throw I've ever seen in my life. They do a slow motion shot of the knife heading towards Dewey's face in slow motion as Dewey stares at it coming at him and literally doesn't react. The knife hits said Dewey in the head. Dewey falls on the stairs and now they're both hostages for the killer. So what, what is this, man? I'm about so, to throw my mic. So to be what honest is, well, with Explain you, this. When it's, I first watched this Roman movie. Roman turned to Ip, Ip Man. When I first watched this movie, I do remember specifically when I saw that, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. This is a BS they pulled with Dewey to make sure he survived this one. Because when he just saw, looked at his knife, put it in his hand to get ready to throw it, I'm like, Dewey either needs to dodge or he better be dead. Throws it, the back of the knife hits. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me at this point? This is just ridiculous. Let's hypothesize. Um, give me your best guess. The level of skill it would require to be throwing the knife uphill, not in front of you, across from you, He's throwing it in an uphill motion and to get the rotation to literally spin uphill and hit someone clear in the forehead. With the We're, back of the knife. Are we talking like, are we talking Ip Man? Are we talking Prime Ninja Gaiden? Like, is, is Roman, is there any scenario where Roman can do this? <laughs> so, after seeing how Roman gets his ass kicked to Sydney, this is bullshit. Because if he's able to do that, that tells me he should know a lot more stuff than what he shows during that fight scene. If, if the knife misses, what's Roman's next move? He's down in the basement. He just threw his knife. Dewey's on the top. Are they just going to meet and have a fist fight? Well, you'd think Gale would have, I don't know, grab one of those mannequins and start hitting him. Yeah. <laughs> well, at that point, Dewey, okay, there's no bullets, right? You can walk down there and pistol whip him, right? But anyways, that was just... I can't believe I can't believe Wes actually filmed that scene, and they didn't watch it back and say, "This is the dumbest shit." In all the movies, this is the most comical, goofy thing I've seen. This one scene is in the realm of Troll Two level type stuff. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, but let's get back to the ending. I did also like that when she kills him, she holds his hand. Yeah, and then she gets up, and of course. Guy gets up. It was all ruined because she held his hand. That's a poetic death. But then he gets up. And charges him. And Dewey keeps shooting the chest. Now, hold up. Uh, yeah, this how guy's many, a cop. How many bullets does he have also, by the way? Well, there's that. But this guy's a cop. Um, are you telling me that you don't know shooting the, shooting the chest three times? Guy's not down. Oh, bulletproof vest. Shoot him in the head. Common sense as a human being. When you shot him three times and nothing's working... Sydney has no police training. She's like, the head, Dewey, the head, because common sense kicked in. And he's like, like he's like, oh, oh, shit. Boom. And he was even like, what? The head. Oh, okay. Bang. I was like, so you're telling me you are a good shot with one hand, not even two at this point. It's actually harder to aim with one hand than it is with two because your aiming is actually a little bit more unsteady than with two. <laughs> Go ahead and get to the categories. Best Category. performance. You know what? I'm going to give it to Jennifer. I'm giving it to Parker Posey easily. Yeah. Because she has actually, from reading reviews from fans, what most people take away is that she at least creates a memorable character. Oh, she definitely has fun with it. Yeah. Like, you remember Jennifer from the movie. Do we, like, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, they're kind of mailing it in. 
there's really no scenes where they show any emotion or like that. Yeah, at this point, they're not they're funny. Just, they're mailing it in. At this point, you can definitely tell they're there for the paycheck. Sydney looks like she doesn't really want to be. Another camera looks like she doesn't really want to be there. Oh, she didn't. She's <laughs> contractually obligated to be there. Parker Posey's kind of sinking her teeth into it and like giving as much um, charisma and personality to Jennifer as she can. Definitely helped this movie a lot. <laughs> it felt like she was a part of the group by the end, but then she just didn't have that that plot armor that. The big three. Well, remember, if she didn't die in this, she would not have come back as a vampire in Blade Trinity. Worst Worst performance. Uh, This is tough. There's plenty. I hated Angelina. I'm going to give... I hated Sarah Darling. I'm giving it to Sydney in this one. Sydney, wow. Nev Campbell. I'm sorry. She's a great actress, but you can definitely tell she did not want to be here for this movie. Yeah, that's true. And every scene she was in is actually some of my most hated scenes in this movie just because she does nothing. Unlike the other two, she tries to do something. This one, she does absolutely nothing until the very end, and that was even forced, in my opinion. There's just no stakes with her. Like I said, if she she's already basically died like in her, her, her experience of life now. She's pretty much dead. She's in the mountains, isolated. It's like, okay, she can die, or if she doesn't die, she's isolated in the mountains. So it's kind of like... Unless she's getting her life back, which I don't think is possible at this point. There's no stakes. You're better off almost having a new person you can focus on. Right, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to sit there and say in the comments, if we get any comments, is, well, she has PTSD. I'm just sitting there thinking, there's plenty of movies that has a PTSD subplot or main plot that it is actually used to its fullest. Doesn't make a person... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and all the... Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween H show and Halloween 18... A better, better use, better, better done, basically. So. Right. I understand that PTSD <laughs> comes in many different forms, but this is just meh. I'm gonna stick with my choice of Angelina. <laughs> I just, I didn't like her in any of her scenes. Um, I, didn't, I didn't care for Roman either, but I like, uh, I, I like, I like Scott Foley, but not so here. So best scene. Mine's a little two second clip. Oh motherfucker! <laughs> I was gonna say the, the um. The three-minute stretch where from where Angelina dies until Jennifer dying, it's actually only three minutes. Oh, damn. But it's a, that is, I'll say that is the most action-packed three minutes of the entire series. From the time Angelina dies to, we'll be safe if we stick together, right? Boom. To Tyson's <laughs> death to, and to Jennifer's death. Now, it's kind of rushed to kill that many characters that quickly. I think especially Jennifer's death was really rushed. Mm. But that's that's an action-packed, fun three minutes. So that whole sequence, I got to say, is the best And to be honest, Dewey could have saved her a long-ass time ago, but instead he waits until Gale sees the damn mirror being banged up against. Hey, look at that. Look, It looks like something's going on the walls. Yeah, so Dewey is definitely the reason why Jennifer died in that scene. He could have shot that damn thing. She could have gotten away before Ghostface got to her. And Dewey's job, he was there to protect her. Yeah. It's bullshit. All right, worst scene. Um, can I say the whole movie? No. No? You can say, um, well, I know you didn't care for ghost Maureen scenes. Ghost Maureen scenes. Uh, be honest, I'm going to have to give it to every scene of Sydney alone at her house. That took me out of the movie, too. Because it was extremely boring. It added nothing to the plot. I understand we needed to technically follow this character to know where she's at and what she's doing, but there are so many better ways that this could have been done. If and I, also to get her to this to the area of the situation, so many better ways that it could have been done. It might have been a fun surprise. As I think about it now, tell me what you think about this. If when Sydney shows, shows, when Sydney shows up at the police station, right? What if that's actually the first time we see her in the movie? She's completely not in the first half of the movie, and it's like a surprise to the audience. Like, let's say you damn near, you don't show her in the trailers, the advertisements. You just show Dewey and Gale. But then, like, at this halfway point, somehow we can say Dewey got in contact with her. Or she saw the news, which is technically what brought her there. Yeah. I think it might be cool just to have her just show up. Yeah. And now, now you feel some stakes, basically, because... You don't know about the whole damn mountain crap and all this silliness, basically. Now, when you see her for the first time, you're, like, super happy to see her. Like, oh, shit, this feels like the movie feels elevated now. The gang's back together. Yeah, the way they do it, the movie doesn't feel elevated. It feels... And to be honest, even when she gets there, she all her scenes are in the damn police station. Yeah. 
It's it, her character in this movie is boring, and that's why I have said, just because you like a character in a previous movie doesn't mean you're gonna like them in this new one. Because characters do change between movies. So what about your worst scene? I'm gonna go also with the Sydney ghosts, Sydney alone in the mountain scenes. So what would you like explored more? Well, there's just like no, the, there's nothing I want to see more. Well, to be honest, just like the other two movies, this movie's story is rounded tight enough to where you don't even need to ask any questions because most of the most of the questions you already asked yourself is answered by the end of the movie. Now they are shitty answers, but they are answers. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're right though. But there's yeah, there's nothing really left unexplored per se. All right, let's get to our final thoughts. Because... Uh, final thoughts is this movie is definitely nowhere near. The success of the first one, nowhere near the fun that you could have from the second one. You hated the second one. <laughs> I did. What are you going to give this rating? Jesus. <laughs> you, you, you put yourself in a corner because you set the bar too low. Oh, trust me. I already know what I'm giving this movie. It ain't good. Holy shit. This movie has very unlikable characters. The main cast that we grew, that we all know and love is not loved anymore. They're just there for the paycheck. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their acting. Even David Arquette's not even given his usual goofiness that everyone loves the character for. Even Wes Craven loved the character for. Music of it doesn't even add anything to the tone anymore. All the whole half of Sydney being in the damn mountains was just a waste of time. So I'm giving this movie... Hey, great view though, for her. I'm giving this movie a one. Damn it, man. <laughs> no, I don't agree. That's too much. And also, the the main villain is a whiny little bitch that no one gave a shit about. It's a one. He was maybe a good director, though. Anyways, I don't know. We never got to. We gonna, we he never, wanted to do a love story, but he had to do a horror first. And we never got to see a stab movie because he died before. Exactly. So I wonder who did do stab three afterwards. You'd think all the stab movies would be canceled at this point. Look, I'm gonna be a lot nicer than you. And I'm gonna give it one half star. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go one. I can't say it's the worst movie ever. Give it one star. I'm gonna say one and a half stars. The worst movie ever is a zero star. I don't. I don't know if any movie deserves zero stars. We, we haven't, haven't watched The Village yet. Oh my god. <laughs> one half star only because I do like. I like two or three of the characters. There's a. There's maybe two or three fun moments. It. It's watchable. You can watch this movie. It's watchable. But you can't rewatch it. You definitely can't rewatch it. I don't, I don't want to get too much into it. I'm just going to say one half stars. It is, so far, it's the worst of the screen movies we've seen so far. And we'll see next week after part four, but this might end up being the worst of the series. So I'm going to say one half stars. If you watch it, you watch it because you want to see the entire series. You can't not watch it because it's part of the series. But you don't have to rewatch it. <laughs> you definitely Tell, don't you don't really even need to watch it. Just do one, two, skip, four. You can watch the clips of it on YouTube. The best bits are on YouTube. What are those again? <laughs> it's definitely not ghost face scenes. Too many backstabbing. Just watch Jennifer scenes for comedic relief. Tyson doing a Olympic style somersault flip. <laughs> and do we get punched in the face? <laughs> yes. How, they put in such a sound effect. <laughs> like when you got pop in the face, that look, it's not like it hurt. Oh yeah, everyone. Obviously, if the phone rings, you answer it, and you hear Ghostface. Well, then you just gotta subscribe to Let's Watch a B Movie, so you can not have to listen to that bullshit. Have a good night, and remember, scream for next week. Take care. Now, also to add to that, if you hear our voice, my voice, or Nick's voice. Don't trust it. He's using a voice changer. See you next week, folks. Scream 4 on the horizon. And eventually, down the line, Scream 5. Allegedly. <laughs>